Warning, this podcast contains adult content. Last night, a DJ took my life. Confession of a DJ, producer, serial killer. I pulled myself out of the spastic mess I got into in the dealer's car and shuffled round to the front of the club where the driver was waiting to take me to the airport. As I reached for the door handle, I slipped, grazing my shin on the car and scraped my hand on the dirt road, cutting it open. A little bit of blood got onto my t-shirt and the promoter wanted to clean me up. She was wasted and being overly friendly. I just wanted to get out of there, stat, but went with it because she wouldn't back down. I had the murder weapon tied around my waist, underneath my shirt, but agreed that I had to stop the bleeding. All the vodka lemons I'd been drinking had thinned out my blood, so it wasn't clotting. I bandaged up and had to be forceful to get away without raising suspicion. I had the flight to catch. Everyone was completely off their faces and trying to make me stay and party with them. I needed to get the fuck out of there. So I quickly limped out of the front and got in the nearest taxi without saying goodbye to anyone. Airport pour vivor, mate. We drive up the dirt path away from the club. I could see the car where I left the dead dealer on the way out. A couple too cheap to go into the club have parked next to him and are dancing in the headlights of their car. They clearly have no idea he's dead next to them. Hopefully be at least a day before people realise he's not just passed out. We turn left out of the club. I get no time to relax. There's a police roadblock just before the roundabout on the only exit road. Shit. This bag around my waist is probably caked in class A's. We're in the queue behind other cars. I can see up ahead the police are nicking people like crazy. Three blokes just got put in the back of an armoured meat wagon and we're next in line. They wave us onto the hard shoulder. Two thousand and six. The gigs at the after parties around central and east London were not the healthiest places to be making a living, but the crowd suited me. They were usually too wired from whatever cocktail or amphetamines they'd been taking in the club they were in before, making the trip to this lesser one with worse sound system that I was playing in. The dance floors weren't very busy, the smoking areas were the main action point. Sometimes the parties went off, but these were mostly places people went to when they just didn't want the party to end. People paying to get into clubs at 10.30 on a Sunday morning were desperate for something or other. More drugs, more alcohol, more shit conversation with strangers, more music, and a lot of people were there just to hook up. You'd see more debauchery at after parties. People would attempt to fuck in the toilet, or there'd be blatant fingering in the darkest corners of the dance floor. I went back to people's houses where the dregs of people's gear were tearing brain cells apart. Straight vodka was all that's left of the booze. I'd end up in bed with a girl or a guy, or sometimes both. I always liked being the guy no one knew. It was okay. I was the DJ. I played pretty tough at the after parties through winter. When the days started getting longer and the parties were fuller, I could play a little deeper and a more varied selection. 
Some ravers even came over and said to me that they'd been waiting all weekend to hear me play. They were off their nut, but I appreciate the compliment. 2006 was the year of being awake from Thursday to Monday every week. During the comedowns, I thought of killing whoever was nearest, but lacked the ability to do it cleanly. After a couple of days of stewing in a cloud of skunk, I usually had the energy to work on my music. And after four months of finessing, I had an EP with three tracks ready to release. Sadly, my networking skills were rubbish, so even after almost a year of DJing, my only contacts in the scene were other DJs at my level or records, no label people. But I did have my old mates at 101 Records. They knew distributors and where I could get vinyl pressed. So I self-released my first EP and 101 stopped it. I got a really good deal with a distributor as a favour to 101 and the record actually blew up. It started slow, but the first pressing sold out in a month and it was selling digitally. After a couple of big players were heard playing it, I got a call from a few agents based out of Shoreditch. I met with one called Alex, who was keen. He came out with me one weekend and saw me play a set. He got seriously wasted at the party and was telling me that if I signed to him, he'd have me DJing all over Europe. So I said if he gets me a gig in Berlin, he can rep me. On the next Tuesday, he called me and said he booked me a set at Maria Am Aspondoff, a club I'd never heard of, to be fair. But he said it'd be right up my street. I had my first booking outside London. I'd been to Berlin on techno tourism holidays a couple times already and fucking loved it. The party started later. No one even went out till one, and I was even more anonymous there. The clubs were wild, and the music was underground. DJs were tested there, and I got inspired by the sound coming out at the time. I had my night ruined by the bouncer at Berghain on two occasions. He just didn't like my face, or the fact that I was English. And even though I said I was a DJ, he didn't give two shits, and sent me packing. I vowed to kill him. Not because he turned me away, but because he clearly loved it. Loved that power he had to fuck up my buzz. I always found another place to go after, but it, it was a real vibe killer. It was on this trip, my first gig abroad. I realised that if I played things right, I could get away with murder. I got picked up from the airport, taken to the hotel and was left alone. In the time I had to myself, I planned out how I could quench this thirst. If I killed random people on tour and left them where they wouldn't be found for a few days, I'd be long gone when the investigation got underway. In the hours in the hotel room on my own, I thought of everything. Police forces in Europe shared data, so I couldn't kill too many in Europe. I couldn't create a pattern. In every interview I read from the FBI, they always say it was the pattern the killer left that got them not only caught, but convicted. I needed to work out a way of disguising my MO. So, in 2006, the Metro Hotel Berlin, I devised my plan. By the time I got to dinner with a promoter, I was so excited and wired from thinking about it, I couldn't even eat. So I just drank. I don't remember much of my set, but reports back were good. Apparently I played harder than most warm-up DJs. I was so used to my after-party routine, I just played as normal for how wasted I was. Alex booked me a few more gigs over the next few months in both Berlin and the UK. Not loads, one or two a month at shitty events, but it was better than nothing. I still played after parties. I needed more music out if I wanted to get more bookings, so I got in the studio. I found that working on my music and the planning I was doing in my head was enough to satisfy my need to kill someone for the time being. Flying back and forth to Berlin was fun, but I began to realise living there would suit me better. Everyone just left me alone in Berlin, except to invite me to parties or drinks. 
I mean, they always turn into all-night sessions. Also, I'd lost a lot of money from missing flights after being in a club, bar or living room for hours and hours. So, the maths made sense, because living there was cheap and I'd be playing there a few times a month. I got more gigs just because I didn't have to pay for flights or dinner. I found a one-bedroom flat with the help of a mate who lived there, another DJ. I pretty much only knew DJs, club promoters or girls who worked for clubs out there. By 2009, I was settled in Berlin's Alexanderplatz, which was walking distance to some of the clubs and only a short taxi ride to the rest. My studio was in my flat. It was basic, but it suited me. The routine was similar to my one at home. Thursday to Monday clubbing with very little sleep, ecstasy, coke and lots of alcohol. Monday afternoons, I smoked skunk until I passed out. Sometimes I slept for 12 hours straight and I was fine the next day. Other times, insomnia kept me awake for days, even without drugs. It was in the dark, midweek nights I used to walk. I'd seek out squats and sit with the smackheads, watching them pass out in front of me. It reminded me of when I was a kid living with my mum. I used to wait until people passed out and steal from them or kick them if they were really gone. Seeing someone slip off into a heroin nap was like watching someone's soul leave their body. One night in the winter, I kicked an ageing punk in his tattooed face as hard as I could, just as he slipped out of his usual unconsciousness. I just wanted to see if it shook him out of the wave he was being dragged by, but the tide was stronger than my boot. The temptation to choke one of them was too strong, so I had to stop doing this. I barely saw daylight that winter. Christmas was approaching and I got a booking to play in Istanbul. I knew as soon as it came in, this was my chance. My first booking outside Europe. A busy metropolis with millions of potential victims. The plan was to fly in the afternoon and out the next morning, so I was there less than 24 hours. Preparing my set was less important than trying to find out as much as I could about Istanbul. I wanted to wander off and back again so no one noticed. My flight on the Friday morning was after a bout of no sleep for a couple of days. This was partly due to a session with one of my mates in my studio. We played records, just the two of us, while blazing and scraping off flakes of coke from a rock he came into possession of. Before I realised, we'd been fucking around for 12 hours and I had to get organised in my stoned, wired, confused state. I got on the flight after sinking a couple of steins in the airport. That was enough to help me doze off for the two-hour flight. The promoter who picked me up talked the whole way from the airport to the club, where he insisted I do a sound check first. Indigo Club was in a weird part of the city, busy roads, four cemeteries nearby, and backing onto an old workers' estate. When I got there, I knew that this was the type of place that would be busy all night. The hotel was five minutes from the venue. I was still a bit of a mess from the night before and that flight. I couldn't make sense of the location. I was going to have to get driven back later. When I dropped my shit off at the hotel, I went to eat in a local cafe. I was eyeing up all the people walking around and I came up with my plan. I was going to wait in an alley and hit someone around the back of their head with like a broken brick or something. It looked like it might be too busy around here though. I was sure by 5am it would have calmed down and I'll catch some drunk tourist out. All my tunes at the ready, I got picked up by the promoter. 
I declined dinner with him and said I needed a rest. He was fine with it. I didn't sleep though. I closed my eyes and saw blood from the man's head on my hands and shirt. Lots of blood. I envisioned myself losing control and causing a huge mess. I couldn't allow this. I had to stay sober and keep the attack tidy. That's all good, in theory, but I'd never DJed sober before. At this point, I was DJing under the influence of at least three drugs, as well as booze. Just the thought of playing straight was scaring me, nearly as much as getting caught for murder. Anxiety built up in the 10 minute drive to the club and went into overdrive when I saw there was a queue outside. It was a sellout apparently, I couldn't breathe. The promoter was looking at me scared like I was going to vomit. I immediately caved and asked him for a spliff. We were backstage about 30 minutes from my set and I smoked a joint with him. I felt instantly better, then I had a couple of beers, I felt a lot better. Still sober but the sickness had passed at least. On the way to the decks, the bouncer of the club stopped me and pushed me against the wall. I pushed him back and he dug me in the ribs. Just as I buckled, the promoter came with more beers and flipped out of the bouncer. This was all in view of the dance floor and people started to gather. That properly fucked my head. I had to play, but I also felt completely vibed out with the people watching me catch my breath. When the promoter offered me a pill, I took it without thinking. 20 minutes into my set, I came up. I was acutely aware that killing someone for the first time high off my tits was a terrible idea, but I was going to do it anyway. I go through the gears, and the closer I come to the end of my set, the more energy I feel. My first murder was in sight. The crowd weren't that wild, but they were ebbing and flowing with me. I didn't clear the dance floor at any point, which was a positive that I took. The final two tracks got a good reaction. A few cheers, and hands up, I finished big, and the promoter was excited. When I came off the decks, he had some coke lined up on one of the speakers. I'd done half a bottle of vodka and was already feeling wired, but that didn't stop me from diving in. 4 a.m. and I was in the green room with some Turkish girls and a couple of the promoter's mates. I pretended to be tired and suggest we wrap things up for the night. Everyone else didn't look anywhere near finished. Neither was I, really. I was just thinking about getting started. I insisted the promoter stay put and have fun, as long as they could order me a cab. They thought I was a nice guy and hugged me before I left. I was squeezing each of them, my fingers tightly gripping the girls' bare backs. Getting a feel for the skin was driving me crazy. I left quickly while I still felt some semblance of control. I got the cab to drop me off a few streets away from my hotel. Annoyingly, I hadn't thought about being lumbered with my record bag, but I stuck with my plan. Earlier in the day, I stashed a sharp rock behind some bags of rubbish in an alleyway. It was still there. There weren't many people about as I'd hoped. I'd seen some people, a couple of guys, making their way back to the hotel area, but no one alone yet. It was pretty dead, still with a couple of people here and there. I crouched down onto my bag with a rock in my hand and concentrated on the noises around me. I heard footsteps, but none were solo. I stayed there for about 20 minutes just listening. I was doing my best to ignore the tightening up feeling I was getting as I sobered up. It would have been perfect for someone to come across my path but another 15 minutes went by and still not a soul. The sun had started to come up and the sky was a deep blue. A few street lights were still on. I had to call it for now. I was starting to get tired. My head felt heavy. 
When I stood up and walked down the alleyway back to the street, a straggly ginger cat walked towards me. When it got close enough, I kicked it full whack in the stomach, sending it flying. It smacked up against the wall and groaned. I knew it was alright because I only caught it in the soft belly, so I left it. The frustration of my night was painful. I walked in the direction of the hotel. I could see it was a few blocks down. On the other side of the road, a cab pulled up at the crossing. A guy in his early 20s came out. He was arguing with the driver. I could hear him speak with an accent that sounded Australian. The driver sped off and the door slammed shut. The only noise in the whole city was the sound of the car booting off and the Australian swearing at it. I dropped my record bag right where I was and sprinted at him. He saw me out the corner of his eyes and I got close but didn't move quick enough. I didn't think about it. I just ran and clotheslined him at the neck with all my strength. He flipped over on the floor and smacked his head in the pavement. While he was down, I kicked his neck twice as hard as I could. He attempted to scream, but I smashed his windpipe with a stamp down. He flailed for a bit, trying to get up. I kneeled on his head and punched his face rapidly. I don't know how many times it was, but it was just constant for a couple seconds. When he stopped moving, I kneeled on his neck until he stopped breathing. It all happened in under a minute. My head was spinning, face sweating, and the blood from his mouth was all over my hands. I dragged his body a few feet over to some parked cars. I positioned his body so it looked like he was asleep by the back wheel. Then, I walked back over to my record bag, looking to see if anyone was around. I grabbed the bag and went down to my hotel. With my hands in my pockets, I asked for a taxi to the airport. My flight wasn't until 10am, but I wasn't sticking around to see the nightmare finding him would cause. I washed my hands in the sink. When I looked in the mirror, my eyes were like saucers, and my skin was still perspiring. The taxi picked me up, and we drove past the dead Australian. People had started to wake up and go about their business, but no one saw or took notice of him. I would be checked in and airside before he'd be discovered. I knew I'd gotten away with it straight away and smiled to myself. I admit, it wasn't my plan to do it so brazenly. When I was airside having a beer, I felt sick that I was so reckless. It was my first time and I did it in the open, drunk and high. No way I'd be able to survive unchecked like this. I never thought my first murder would be done when I was high. I really needed to reevaluate myself. Last night, a DJ took my life. Follow me on at last night, a DJ took my life on Instagram and Twitter. The title music is provided by Synchro.